marker. Jeff, play the intro. We're going to start in three, two. I forgot. Uh, Mark, I forgot that stupid greeting that I came up with. Is it good morning? Good afternoon. Good morning, good, morning, good afternoon, good evening, and wherever you are. Thanks. Yeah. Okay, that's it. Okay. Yeah. Five, four. Welcome to Disney Space. Reimagining spaces in Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and spaces beyond. And now, your host, Jeff and Mark. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and wherever you are, thanks for listening to Disney Space. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me as always, my co-host, Mark. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Okay. <laughs> Only one of us gets to do the bit. Uh, <laughs> Mark, uh, we had been pretty diligent on a weekly delivery of this podcast, and then I decided to go on a Disney vacation last week, so it somewhat disrupted the normal course of affairs, but I'd like to get this ship right and back on its uh, normal distribution schedule. Yeah, it'll be good to take a break every once in a while for that purpose, and I want to hear all about it. Yeah, so let's let's just take a few moments, and I'll I, maybe you have some questions, and I'll just recap what we were up to. Is the first time in almost a year in ten months, I actually took some time off of work and took a three night stay at the Contemporary Resort at Walt Disney World. I'd never stayed Very there nice. before. Oh, it was incredible! An incredible experience. wasn't cheap. Didn't get any deals. Uh, but it was really worth the experience. And I could actually see now why some fans like my friend, Justin, he'll do a lot of split stays where he'll go and do one or two nights at a luxury high end resort and then do three or four days at maybe one of the pops or art animation or something like that, because you want to get a little taste of it. And then, okay, now we can just focus on the park experience. Yeah. Let's do the $700 one and then the $300 one. Later. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's the the three hundred dollar is the Disney definition of budget, <laughs> but the remodeled lobby, and every, they're still doing work in the towers, and you can see that they have a lot of orange. Um, I don't call them blankets, but work coverings and a lot of the areas. We actually stayed in the. I was going to say one of the two garden wings, but one of those garden wings doesn't exist anymore because it's now Bay Lake Towers, and we loved it. We had a perfect view of the monorail. It went by consistently and that was just really great to see very clean comfortable room very nice uh we had some of the best night's sleep we've had in a long time it's probably because we didn't have two kitty cats jumping on the bed in the middle of the night but <laughs> <laughs> that's great very nice <laughs> and uh, i get to go with my friend michael and his family he invited us on a vip tour last thursday and we were able to conquer everything in Hollywood Studios, Epcot, and then we even bowed out after the six-hour mark, and he went on to finish everything in Animal Kingdom, and then ended at Magic Kingdom and had a perfect spot for the fireworks. And I got to tell you, that is such an insane experience to move around those parks at a breakneck pace. And we did Rise of the Resistance twice. We did uh, Millennium Falcon Smugglers Run twice, Slinky Dog Dash twice. We did... Uh, Midway Mania, a Runaway Railway, we did that one twice. I mean, it was just a Tower of Terror. We did that one two times. It was so it, – it, it, they move you so frantically. My goodness. Did you count your steps through all that? 
Uh, according to my uh, Apple Watch, I got 13 miles in that day. Oh, there's your half marathon. Good job. <laughs> hey, not bad, yeah. right? Grab your medal. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a really great experience. And tomorrow I'm headed back to the Magic Kingdom. Going to wake up early, maybe do some live streaming. I always say I will, and lately I haven't been doing as much. But when I am, are we going to check in for to look at your live streams? Oh, uh, at WDW Scope on Twitter. I'm, uh, I, I've never been fond of YouTube, its interface, and its algorithms. So I'm like, hey, back when people were really cooking, I was America's 21st favorite Walt Disney World vlog compared <laughs> to even some of the big YouTubers. So that's not too bad considering I was on a sort of secondary live streaming app, Periscope. They closed that down last, uh, what was that, earlier this year? Yeah, it was March of this year. And now I'm regulated to just using my Twitter account for it, which doesn't give the map, doesn't have as good of notification system, is more about instant communication than live streaming. But there's other platforms out there. Uh, what's, uh, there's, I think, Rumble and... Instagram. Instagram Facebook. I don't like because you can only do uh, portrait mode. You can't go landscape. Okay. Instagram is all about selfie mode. And when we do it, that we that's why we liked Periscope is because it is a Periscope view of wherever we are. And I love turning it landscape, really letting people capture the, the sights, the sounds of the parks, and also interact with them in a fun way. Yeah, if, if anybody follows Jeff at WDW Scope on Twitter, make sure to turn on that bell to, so you'll get the notification. I do that, and so when he appears at the park, I just dive right on in. I'll be working and just watch what he does. Hey, it's a lot of fun. And and, and you can watch it. You don't have to chat, but it's always nice to hear from folks. Right. Um, But, yeah, it's a a good time. But also, we're going to take a little bit of a break from the typical Disney space format. And here on Disney space, where we reimagine spaces at Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and spaces beyond. Typically, we will pick a location. For example, this week's location is the now defunct NBA experience at Disney Springs. And what we do is we both come up with our own individual pitches to each other of what we would reimagine in a given space. Our track record so far, we've we bulldozed It's a Small World. Uh, we've welcomed people into Tomorrowland and, and given them a fun Muppet Star Wars experience. And we, I completely, you made Fort Wilderness a almost an Olympic athlete destination. I wanted to turn it into a, a Simpsons sideshow. But we've had some fun in, in, in doing this. And today we're going to have an opportunity to speak to someone who did this professionally. Yeah, we're going to talk to um, a former uh, consultant for Imagineering. His name is Joel Christopher Payne. This guy is very, very creative. I, I really advise that you follow him on Facebook. That's where he does most of his his work. And he, he is an assorted creative person. He does a lot of things. What he, what he does primarily today, he's a painter. He's a professional painter, professional artist. He's a licensed Disney artist, so he is... He's allowed to paint all the Mickeys and Minis and Goofies and Donalds, but he does a lot of band of highly, highly detailed landscape, almost very Thomas Kincaid looking art. It takes him days to do each piece, and he's been doing that for many, many years. Just beautiful, beautiful work. Recently, he was um, showcased in, at the Epcot 
Festival of the Arts. He had a kiosk there and he was watercoloring, doing some things. And I know I saw that kiosk. Uh, I, yeah. I'm sure I did. Yeah, he's he's done um, some other things. He is he's invented some toys for kids uh, to do some really purposeful thing for helping them learn and helping them grow. And he's done some apps for that. He's he's done a lot of gaming development, so he's done a lot of, of art for for well known titles. And recently, he is going to be starring in a movie. I believe it's called The Elf King. I'll let him talk about all this. And he's created a a song. That is now on all the music services. So in, in anything that he's willing to go out there and try, he does it and does it in a big way. So we're going to welcome him. And one reason we brought him on the show today is if anybody has been to Disney Quest in the past and and experienced the virtual Jungle Cruise, Joel developed this attraction. And so he has a whole story behind this. And then he'd, he'd like to tell that. And I thought it would be good for him to come in and make his pitch for what we could, what could be done with this space because he's very good at that. <laughs> I think he's, he's, some- he's literally worked in this space before. Yeah. yeah. So he, yeah. he's going to have some insight. He's going to blow us out of the water and say, you amateurs have no idea what you're doing. Here's, here's how we really do it. Uh, no, but I'm, I'm really excited. So we're going to have that segment coming up right now. All right. We have Joel Christopher Payne with us today. And thank you very much, Joel, for joining us. He's going to, He's going to help us with some concepting of Disney Quest, and he has a little bit of history behind the attraction. Joel, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I'm really excited about doing this. When you told me about your show idea, I thought it was brilliant, and uh, I'm going to have a lot of fun today. I agree, yeah. So you've got a lot of creative background throughout your entire career, and um, it's it's inspired me ever since I've gotten to know you. Um, I've, I've encouraged people to search your Facebook and see everything that you do. And recently you've, you've been to Epcot for the first time and did the, um, the festival for festival of the arts. And that's, that's correct. Place. Yeah. So yeah, um, my first time out there in my whole yeah. life. <laughs> so tell Quite us a little experience. bit about your background. Well, I, you know, I, I didn't really uh, find myself uh, wanting to be a, a painter, you know, especially doing fine art that was not on the, uh, not on the docket there, but uh I did my first painting in high school in my senior year. Uh, I could have taken Spanish or art and, you know, I probably should have taken Spanish, (laughs) (laughs) but no, I did. uh, My first painting was a Pinocchio painting and uh, it was pretty good actually. And the teacher said, Oh, it looks like you got a future in art. I'd uh, fallen in love with, uh, with Disney, Uh, mostly the Imagineers when I was a kid. Uh, If people go to wishpictures.com, they could see my bio and hear about that story where I was on Pirates of the Caribbean uh, as a five-year-old. It's a fun story. And um, it just really kind of blew my mind uh, how Walt was able to blur the line between fantasy and reality. And I just thought it was a fascinating career choice. And I always wanted to be an Imagineer. But as luck would have it, I, I went into the movie business for a little while and doing props and um, set painting and costume design. My first job uh, was uh, working at Somewhere in Time uh, in, on Colorado Boulevard in Pasadena and uh, got to uh, d- design the uh, American Gladiators costumes back in the day, if anybody remembers that oh, show. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I was making props, uh, these, these troll heads out of leather 
and um, and peacock feathers for eyebrows and stuff like that. Kind of like what what uh, Jim Henson was doing with puppeteering. And we sold these things for quite a bit of money, actually, handcrafted troll heads. Um, <laughs> and uh, it led to me going into 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 wanting to work in movies and and as a director. But um, as luck would have it, when I saw Jurassic Park come out realizing where computer technology would be. I was a heavy gamer, you know, really into video games at the time. I had a Amiga and uh, started off on a Commodore and I was doing a lot of digital artwork at the very beginnings of, uh, of really computer technology um, when there was only 16 colors on the computer. Yeah, I think we come from the same age there. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, it was Radio the Shack beginnings of it all. <laughs> I'm always amazed at, at classic gaming with the, the dithering effects and what they could do with the limited oh. pixels and colors. All yeah, the, like, we had all 30, stuff. yeah, that's why we had 32 colors, then we went to 64 because we were we were blending the two. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's really a cheap trick. Yeah. Uh, and then we got 128 and then eventually we had millions of colors. And as soon as we had all of the colors of the rainbow with tons of res re resolution to basically re replicate a photo, if we wanted to, um, that's when, when 3d came into the mix. And um, I had to figure out how to make a, a head out of like five pixels, uh, five polygons. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so we kind of get bombed back to the stone age right after achieving all of those uh, triumphant mi milestones and, um, with colors and, and resolution. But um, so I was a part of that whole thing and went into the video game industry as an art director. And that led me to Disney in 1994 when I got to work and was hired uh, to work with the Imagineers on the Virtual Jungle Cruise, which yes. was a massive, massive achievement in location based entertainment at the time. And we built it on a reality engine the size of a refrigerator. And we called that thing Hal, of course. And, uh, <laughs> um, and now your phone could probably run that entire attraction uh, all the years that it had ran. And it was uh, in operation uh, for many, many years until uh, I think about two years ago when, and when Disney Quest was, uh, they decided to uh, take it down and build something else. And yeah, um, I think so. Clearly, this so I think, I think something else is how well it was received. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we had great hopes for it. Um, you know, uh, Tony Baxter was my boss's boss. Uh, uh, and, uh, and we had a lot of hopes for virtual attractions. And I saw all kinds of potential there. And I, I really thought like I was on the forefront of, of uh, how rides would eventually go. And um, unfortunately, you know, they, they really had a couple of really great ideas and a lot of not so good ones. <laughs> and uh, it didn't, it wasn't, it, it wasn't really well received in, initially. And, um, you know, there was, it was a time when Dave and Busters and uh, GameWorks had uh, been competing and they saw this market that was emerging for dinner entertainment type arcades for the family to go and disney wanted to do it a lot better than everybody else and i think we did with with uh, the virtual zone cruise it was uh, it was one of the most popular attractions there and one of the longest running ones as well i agree yeah. Was, yeah. was that attraction also available at the chicago location we did actually have it in a few different places um i i, I never actually got to ride any of them, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I, 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 we built it in, in, in uh, Carlsbad actually, and in a warehouse and I got to ride the whole thing during the summer. I mean, well, not a bad gig if you can get it right. Having, having, having to basically build a ride and ride it all summer long, not a problem for me. <laughs> hey, air and, conditioning. Um, yeah, no. And I was, I was responsible for laying out the track basically, which was the virtual river 
So all the little bumps and curves and, and waterfalls and all that fun stuff, going through the caves, the whirlpools, all that fun stuff. That was me. I got to, I got to basically create the ride simulation. Uh, and, um, ultimately had to test that. So, um, we, we, I called it the uh, possessed airbag and it was uh, <laughs> six compartment airbags, six compartments that would fill up independently to simulate water. And then we would have this really amazing, uh, real ore uh, that would have a roller wheel from, from a roller blade put into it so that when you, you know, we're in the real boat that was strapped onto the top of this giant airbag. Uh, it would it would pick up the signals, the strokes, and people were actually legitimately rowing down a virtual river. And yeah. we even went so far as having spritzes of water and caustic lighting. And we had to eventually take out the water because it was creating a mold problem. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we really wanted to go all in on this simulation. And I think we did a really good job. At, at when we had the thing cranked all the way up, people could fly right out of the uh, boat. It was <laughs> definitely land of the lost. It was pretty. It was pretty yeah. intense. Yeah, you know, I, I could I could feel the bumps and the bruises. <laughs> well, it was around that time they were doing Indiana Jones, uh, the Indiana Jones attraction to Disneyland, and a lot of the same ride designers that built that attraction also built the simulation underneath our attraction, and and uh, so they're they're kind of uh, cousins in a way. And mm-hmm. so when I, I got to be one of the first uh, 100 people on the Indiana Jones attraction when it opened, mm-hmm. and um, when it was opened, uh, opening day, that thing was violent. <laughs> it was quite a fun ride. Um, they toned it down because it broke a lot, and the hydraulics got overheated and everything. But when it was open, uh, first day, it was intense. And yeah, um, Most attractions seem to do that on their first initial runs. And they try to yeah. scale it down to reality. Yeah, I myself, sure. I went on um, Epcot's Mission Space when the first week it opened. And I, I went on it with my brother-in-law, who's a police lieutenant. And the two of us both, when we got off of it, he said we would both fail a field sobriety test. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me just tell you, if you really want to get the full intended experience of a disney attraction get on it on the first few days because they have it all the way turned up they want a big showing of of and they want that big crowd reaction because people are getting talked to by the press as you come out and you know they're they're, they got all the bells and whistles running and then they dial it back for the general public you know in most cases after everybody's figured out where the the sickness level is (laughs) you know so i think we're seeing that with disney genie today in in walt disney world this the reservations app and pay for a ride app it's it's had a lot of hiccups in the past couple of days but you can see its potential well that's the thing you know disney is an ever-evolving uh concept uh that's the way walt intended it and it requires a little bit of trial and error when you're on the edge of something new and um so, you know, I, I appreciate that. you got to be on the bleeding edge of pushing those boundaries to find out where the boundaries lie and where you can break them. Yeah. So this, this experience with 3D animation on a screen in front of a person, giving, giving them that virtual type of feel, how, how did that grow over the years? Well, it's funny because right after that, I, you know, uh, after I did that attraction, we, I was put directly on Oceania, which was a dome projection system, the very world's first uh, immersive dome pro- projection system that was for the Lisbon's World's Fair in 1990, I think it was eight or nine, 99. And um, that was also something that I, I did the fly through on that. And that was really the predecessor that led to um, 
soaring over California adventures. We didn't have a, an actual physical vehicle that you got in, like what they ultimately right. ultimately made with a really cool Erector set as a prototype, which I've actually seen firsthand uh, being a part of that, cool. uh, the development of that. I've gotten mm-hmm. to see that. Um, and uh, it's one of those things where, you know, um, that that simulation uh, was really the, the, the beginnings of a revolution in, in ride technology. And uh, that led to right after that, I worked on with Steven Spielberg's uh, vertical reality attraction, which was uh, in GameWorks. It was their crown jewel. And you would get into a chair strapped in. The bar would come over your head just like you would in a roller coaster. And you'd have a gun attached to the uh, the simulation. And you'd have a big uh, you know, four-story screen in front of you. Oh, that was the, get- the Sky Pirates, right? That's right. Well, yeah. originally it was a gun. Some other contractor had uh, thought it was a brilliant idea to create a skyscraper in front of you where you could see into it and shoot at the bad guy. And uh, if you if you managed to get the criminal, the robber that was with the with the pop gun, you would go up a floor and then the goal would be to get the get him in the next floor. And then you would hopefully get to the top and then free fall down. Well, unfortunately, Spielberg hired the wrong team <laughs> and they, they, it was basically a $5 attraction. Nobody wanted to go on it because nobody could get past the first floor. Okay. <laughs> so when I met, um, when I, when I got to work on that, you know, we, we went out and actually, you know, wanted to create something that was really exciting and take the full advantage of this pogo stick type free fall scenario. And we souped it up and we, we came up with the idea of airships, pirate ships of sorts, where you would have a spike on the bottom of it and um, you could power up that would launch you up a floor and then you could dive bomb down with the spike on the bottom of your balloon trying to hit the opponent. And if you got them, then you would free fall. And that really took full advantage of that technology. And I got to write the music for that. I got to game design a little bit, animate, and I built all the visuals for that. So it was me and two programmers and a game designer that um, put that together. And we did it in six months' time. And it, it had lines out the door. We, we had huge success. It finally made back the money that they had put into that idea. But that was Steven Spielberg's actual idea. And I think that was kind of the predecessor to uh, uh, Tower of Terror, which ultimately did the same thing, but in a bigger way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you were yeah. in Animal Kingdom, did you experience the flight of passage? Well, that's the funny thing. Is, you know, I, I, this is the first time I'd ever gone this, this year out to the, uh, the art, art festival and uh, Disney was gracious enough to allow me to, to, to visit all the other parks. I didn't have a lot of, a lot of time because I was on deck painting live most of the day, but I did have a few hours to hop on over to the other parks and I went to the Animal King, Kingdom and it just blew my mind. I mean, the flight, the flight, I mean, I was pretty much crying through the whole thing because, you know, it's basically the, what we were doing all, all those years ago but better <laughs> you yeah. know, it's, it's kind of like my baby's all grown up yeah. <laughs> you know and uh, really, it really amazing. really got to me it showed that we could do something that was really dynamic and really felt like you're on the back of this thing and you know i think that's the future of uh of uh ride simulation i think that's the way to go yeah if you listen to our first show we had a we had a um concept of tearing out everything out of the it's a small world building and i had the idea of putting kind of a, a maleficent type of similar attraction in there same setup where you're you're basically taking you're becoming the spirit of Maleficent, Maleficent flying through this magical kingdom 
you know, that, that type of apparatus could be applied to all kinds of different experiences. Well, you're actually, uh, there's one project that was right before ours um, that kind of alludes to that, which was at uh, uh, the uh, Disney Quest, I believe. And that was the Magic Carpet, Aladdin's Magic Carpet, That's right. where you would put on a VR headset and it would kind of yes. make you feel like you're on the carpet. Now, our lead animator that did all of our awesome animations and stuff like that on the virtual jungle cruise worked on that project and headed it up. I kind of think that's one of the reasons why we were able to get this Disney, this other yeah. Disney attraction, because we had a history of doing that and angel studios, which is the company that actually built it has a history in, in um, virtual entertainment. They were the guys that did a lot of the effects in lawnmower man, <laughs> which, which was totally <laughs> foreshadowing what they would ultimately do for real. And that was Diego Angel's company and a brilliant man that was really on the cutting edge of, of, of everything. And so I was definitely a part of history because of that guy and uh, his, his amazing company and that awesome team that, that I worked with. There was about, I think we had about 20 people on, on the virtual Jungle Cruise project. And it was a pretty big team at the time for what it was. And, um, you know, it's just kind of nice to see where this is all kind of led. And I think it can, go, it can go much further. I think that's what we're going to talk about today is, you know, where, where can we go from here? Yeah, yeah. How do we create the holodeck for real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you say the holodeck for real. And, 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 and I, I also have another question after this. But before we go on that, uh, at, at Epcot right now, they have a room in, the, in a building used to be called the Odyssey Building. And yeah. inside of it, it's it's a preview for what's to come at Epcot, and it's it's it uses projections, and and you're in a 360 degree projected theater room, and it's very it's it, to me it reminds me of when I saw the behind the scenes specials of The Mandalorian and how they use a similar process to create a digital background and then film that or digitally record that, and and I think I think of that. But what are some of the, I have a psychology background and what are some of the psychological things and approaches you have to make when you're simulating movement? I uh, mean, are, are you worried about maybe yeah. causing nausea or a, a disconnect between <laughs> yes. what the brain sees and what, what it feels? Ooh, now you're hitting me in the gut oh. and I will tell you the <laughs> truth. I will tell you the truth on that because that is a big, big deal. I was slated to go to Lisbon and this is, as a young man, this is the first time I was going to be outside of the country. And so it was a big deal for me. I got my passport for the first time and I was just staring at it thinking I'm going to Lisbon's the world's fair, just like Walt did. I mean, he went to the world's fair. I get to relive Walt's life, but I wasn't allowed to go. <laughs> Why? Because this big massive dome projection system, again, not having a ride vehicle associated with it, where there was just a linoleum floor and a bar that you would hold on to as your peripheral vision was completely obscured by this half dome <laughs> this ultimate imax um people got very very sick and the reason why uh, and, and it forced me to stay back and i had to re uh figure out the simulation and, and figure out how fast we can go how how much we could bank and uh, boy we were really really having to pull back way back as to where we thought uh, people can handle because once you're what, here's the reason why that happens and it happens on just about all and this is why even still to this day even with playstation vr and all these amazing glasses there still there's still some latency problems so anytime your inner ear 
doesn't match up with what you're seeing, Uh-oh. your brain is going to have problems. And some uh-huh. people can't, no matter how good the simulation is, no matter if there is no latency, if you're standing there, but you got the headset on and it's, and you've seen something moving, but you're not moving, your body knows, <laughs> your body knows and it rejects it. And uh, so, you know, that's, that's why having a ride vehicle, like a dragon underneath you or what soaring over California ventures ultimately does where you're in this vehicle that, that has up and down movement. Uh, it, it, it takes away a lot of those problems, but even in those really well done simulations, you still want to kind of look away. Some people have inner ear problems and they can't handle those types of attractions, especially at universal studios, which I was just at, uh, on Monday, <laughs> it was most of their, because of the limited space, they went 100% uh, virtual on their motion-based attractions, and there's a lot of attractions there. And most of them are things that my wife just can't handle. She didn't go with me because they just they just make her nauseous. So that's a big hurdle to overcome. But I've got the solution to that. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I've is got it, the solution. Is it proprietary or? <laughs> no, we're going to talk about it on your awesome show. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. we're going to talk about that. I'm going to. The secret reveal, I'm going to pull back the curtain like Wizard of Oz, and we're going to we're going we're gonna to talk about how we could do this for real and and kind of advance. And put this down in writing, uh, you know, put it actually a, a, as a benchmark and make some history right now. I'm going to explain how you could do the holiday. Right. <laughs> so, Jeff, do you want to you want to give a brief explanation of what Disney Quest was for our listeners? Some who may have not experienced it or understood what it was. Sure. Well, I think Joel hit on uh, the high points in terms of what they were looking at in terms of you know, there was uh famously showbiz pizza and Chuck E. Cheese and then Dave and Buster's for more of the young adult crowd as well. And I do believe Disney was looking to franchise, not franchise, but to build several Disney quest locations across the country. I actually had a chance to go to the one in Chicago in the late nineties. I, I did go there myself one day. Did you? I, was, oh, yeah, okay. I, I was, do remember we, I yeah. remember that location. We did have yeah. a Chicago location and that was a big location. And that for was us. prime real estate. It was, yeah. that's yeah. amazing. And, and it was such a, it was, and, 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 and not, not to denigrate it, but it was almost the exact experience that I remembered back home, which it makes sense. If you're going to go to a Dave and Buster's in Fort Worth or in uh, Flagstaff, they're going to be similar. You know, they're, it's, 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 it's what they offer. Um, but it was, it was at, at the time it was called downtown Disney, now Disney Springs. On the West and side. On the West side, which was the expansion built after the um, Pleasure Island expansion. Uh, it, it, it was nestled between the Cirque du Soleil Theater that was purpose-built there and uh, Mr. Aykroyd's House of Blues, which is, by the way, one of the best concert venues in Central Florida. Every act I've seen there, it's a, it's a perfectly acoustically built theater, and I just love going to that House of Blues. And that's going to be part of what I want to bring up later, Mark. Oh, okay. Um, uh, but yeah, Disney Quest was this massive, I think, four or five story structure filled with games. It had arcade games as well as these purpose built, uh, basically attraction, uh, Disney theme park level attractions, uh, like, like he described with the Jungle Cruise and the Aladdin VR. And uh, there was, I think it was a, a Buzz Lightyear. Uh, it was almost more like a um, 
like a bumper cars and you could shoot little yeah. cannons out the front do of you well. uh do you know what the number one attraction was because i do Cyber, cyberspace mountain <laughs> the cheesecake factory. yes it was a make your own roller coaster experience yeah. and i ultimately went to go right after i worked for angel i went to foundation imaging for a little while uh worked on um max steel and starship troopers there in the tv world um but then ultimately right after that that company unfortunately had a catastrophic run-in with sony and closed they they pretty much uh, threw them under the bus and that company closed and that does happen in that industry and it was really tough we had a lot of people in that company and i'd only been there for about six months and <laughs> i just arrived having a great time in the tv business but then i ultimately went to go work uh, as the company art director for zombie games which was the company that built that attraction so in a way i kind of nice you know i got to work for two companies that had something to do with uh, with uh, with that disney quest yeah and ultimately got to art direct uh, the disney's atlantis video game uh which which was a crazy experience that's all that's a whole nother conversation (laughs) (laughs) my my impression with disney quest uh space itself always thought of it as kind of the rainy day theme park at walt disney world because yeah. I think all the all the parks were in place when it was open. I'm not sure if it it may have overlapped Animal Kingdom, but you you could be sure on a rainy day that place was full. You know, all, well, all the- let's yeah. talk about that for a second mm-hmm. because when I was a kid, I always wanted to build an amusement park just because I was such a fan of the Imagineers, and I always envisioned that at some point we would ha- have an amusement park that. Yep. Oh. We lost him. Oh goodness. Hit, hit gonna, so I, I don't know exactly. I have resumed recording and I will edit this part of me speaking. And Joel, you were just oh, talking about, uh, about um, designing a theme park. Your audio is terrible there. Yeah, Ooh, right? you all of a sudden got a horrible, horrible signal. <laughs> you a, you're in a box of springs. There. How about Try now? again? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it, I think it finally caught up and sank. Yeah. Okay. So let me let me cut right back into the uh, where I left off so we can start over again and, yeah. as if nothing happened. <laughs> so when I was a kid, I wanted to build an amusement park. I did. I wanted to build my, – my father worked at a paper company. He bound books and magazines and printed posters. And I asked him for a big, massive sheet of paper, and he came home with a six-feet long, uh, you know, five-foot-wide piece of kind of wrapping paper. It was brown. And I spent, yeah, and I spent years uh, drawing my own amusement park. So I came in that time for for like three or four years, I would add a little another idea to my lands and would come up with these great ideas. And a lot of the ideas actually came to fruition, uh, even though I was eight years old at the time. Some of those rides actually happened. (laughs) It's amazing. Um, I was, you know, I had some good foresight, I think, in in terms of, you know, I was already kind of in the imagineering mindset at a very young age. Um, I, I, I go to like magic mountain. I take pictures of uh, the undercarriages of uh, roller coasters to see how the wheels stuck to the track. I mean, that's the kind of kid I was I'm just a weird kid. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> but, I think um, there's like three creative genes in you that are all nuclear powered all the time. Cause yeah, you always got a project. That's just amazing. Right. But I, as I was saying, I think that Disney has a, has a, a bit of a problem, you know, at some point, you know, what really is the haunted mansion outside of uh, you're in a carriage and you're rotating around and you're looking at things. And I think, you know, 28 years in the video game industry and now seeing where VR technology is, it's it's so much more robust that maybe those rides at some point will be considered antiquated, especially with a young generation that is, I mean, they have a higher bar of expectation of what they see. 
Um, and you can just apply that to what we expected with close encounters of the third kind versus what we see in movies today. People are, wouldn't be impressed. Kids wouldn't be impressed by that movie. I know because I've shown it to my kids and they're like, yawn. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I think that at some point we'll have a park that comes to you and the holodeck will become real. And uh, you'll, you're seeing Disney try that. I think they had a big kind of awakening, rude awakening with uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge where – you know, there are only two attractions in that whole thing. Biggest land in Disneyland. And and yet the the land was mostly stores that you can buy things in and restaurants. And I think people were a little disappointed. I think that Harry Potter world, uh, that whole experience was just a little bit more in depth, even though they had kind of a similar level of attraction count. It just and, felt like you were there. And Joel, you know? Joel, let's be honest. Disney yeah. went out and hired uh Turbridge, they said, "Hey, get me the Harry Potter guy and have him do that Star Wars." Well, which is funny because uh, no one's supposed to know this, but <laughs> I'm breaking, I'm breaking some. I oh, yeah, look, I have no, no allegiances to <laughs> Disney, Disney uh, Imagineering, but I, you know, I've been told by several Imagineers that quite a few of the Imagineers uh, were moonlighting at the time, working for. Oh. Harry Potter. Uh, <laughs> that's what I was told. And uh, so there's a lot of crossover. I mean, mm-hmm. look, when, you, when you've got owl poop on the ground that has been hand-painted and crafted to look like <laughs> real owl poop, you have gone to another level of detail. <laughs> yeah. So I was just blown away at the immersiveness of that park, that part of the park. And it blew my mind. And I, I thought, this is where, you know, these parks will still remain relevant. Yes. where you feel like you're in the movie that star wars galaxy's edge didn't really get me there i mean if you take out the vehicles and you remove the new characters um you could think you're in battle star galactica land or um aladdin land you know i mean it, it's hard to kind of feel like they hit that note that i think everybody in, who grew up with, with star wars was hoping yeah. for you know their, their basic formula started with let's bring everybody to some unfamiliar space that was never shown in any story or any movie yeah i think that was a story. big misstep and disney has made mistakes with their parks uh, paris has been struggling you know there's just there's been some shortcomings in terms of their direction and they got over their skis and you know they've learned from those mistakes uh, i think that the rise of the resistance attraction is by far the best <laughs> attraction on earth in terms of its immersiveness. And they pulled out all the stops. I mean, they used every trick in the book on that uh, attraction and it shows. And I think that that still keeps those types of attractions relevant and you want to go to them, but you know, we need to break new ground and figure out different ways of making you feel like you're there. And I think uh, virtually is uh, doing it virtually is still, very much in the forefront of my mind as to where I think everybody's going to be going. So, so do you imagine a future where we're wearing advanced suits that simulate pressure and motion and, and, and a tactileness and we'll be plugged into these virtual environments? Uh, You know, that has been tried many times in the video game industry to little avail. I think that at some point, I think there will be some of that. uh, But, you know, that's really expensive to really kind of replicate touch. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. sure you can feel the hits and stuff like that. There's suits out there that are like that. Um, And I but I don't know if people want that. You know, I don't think people want to be touched, especially if they've got their their headgear on. They can't see and they're looking at virtual world. It might creep people out. I saw it. 
it's one of those things, you know, you love Teddy Ruxpin, but you don't want his mouth moving and his eyes blinking. <laughs> ah. <laughs> you know, I like talking toys, but not really. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so the, the idea is good, but can you execute it in, in a way that feels natural and real? And I just don't, I think it's a long way yeah. off before you, you feel things, but can we smell things? Can you feel wind? Can you feel heat, cold? Absolutely. And Disney yeah. already does that, you know? They do that in their own attractions right now. I mean, all the way back to Mr. Toad's Wild Ride when you feel the heat of hell. (laughs) So that's a great mechanism. I want to feel those types of experiences. Wind blowing across my face, especially if you're in a haunted attraction, you want to feel the wind go by you, you know? But um, no, I think think, uh, the visual part of it the sound quality of it all is that you're hearing things in the right direction that they're coming from. I think that's really the next uh, frontier, you know? Cool. Okay. Okay. We, we want to get into our concepts here. We want to jump sure. in and see who goes. How about, how about we will do, I, I did first last show and usually Jeff and I trade off, but I think we got a three-way here. We can probably go Jeff, then Joel and myself to close it out. Oh, yeah. all right. Joel, you're going to stick around for the pitches. Sure. You're, uh, yeah. Are you allowing your audience to pick a winner or do you? you... <laughs> yeah we always do that <laughs> really it's, right. we, we originally talked originally kind of competition we, we batted about like a uh almost like a what what is the show shark tank where we would bring a guest on and mark and i would both give our individual pitches and the guest would uh pick which one they wanted to go with okay i'm bob Iger. i'm gonna green light that uh, but we really didn't go that direction. Instead, we've just originally made it more of just a conversation and a, and a jumping off point to chase rabbits. And just and we always said, we don't want to record this podcast as if we're talking to the audience. We just want to, to let them listen in on us talking about the nerdy stuff that we just love. Well, I got you. But, you know, if you're work, thinking about uh, Imagineering and the process, you know, Walt had a very specific way of coming up with ideas it was the three chair concept have you heard of that no let's hear it well uh he he had three different chairs in his office that he would basically the concept was he'd sit in each chair and you'd have an entirely different mindset uh to come up with great ideas it was a great formula the first chair was the blue sky chair the dreamer's chair and you'd sit in that and anything was possible i could fly like peter pan but the next chair was a little bit more of a, how do we get that done? <laughs> you know, how would we do that? And uh, the third chair was ultimately the spoiler chair, which is tell me everything that will go wrong with this. Uh, so we can't do it. You know, is it cost? Is it, you know, so it was kind of a really practical way of uh, approaching ideas. And that's why Walt Disney still to this day <laughs> with his wild imagination is, is still the leading guy i mean he 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 created audiomatronics that's still more 3d than pixar i hate to say um (laughs) you know and so so i think that philosophy is a good way to approach this subject yeah i guarantee roy i guarantee his brother roy created that last chair there (laughs) yeah he was definitely the bean counter (laughs) (laughs) he was definitely the bean counter trying to talk but you know ultimately he went walt walt's way you know (laughs) he ultimately made it happen you know (laughs) he figured out a way to make the money happen so yeah so I think on this show, we mostly sit in the first chair. I try to sit in the second chair, at least in the extent 
of I'll, a lot of times I'll pay lip service to the notion of exit through the gift shop. We just put them through an experience. Now, what's the thing related to the, that they have to buy? And that's sort of how, in my mind, <laughs> I can kind of pitch these things and say, okay, well, uh, the, when, when we reimagine it's a small world, I, I wanted a Pinocchio attraction. And so when I, what I came up with in a blue sky was you're going to go to a pre-show where you're going to find or design or pick your own conscience like Jiminy Cricket. And then at the end of it, there'd be like a Build-A-Bear setup with hundreds of different accessories. But if you remembered or you had attached to your MDE account what you had built, oh, the, the cast members or even the automated Build-A-Bot can put it together and, hey, kids, for $39.99, here's the one you just designed. Oh, dad, I got to have that. That's the one I made. You know, just like imagine you put that at the end of Test Track. You design a car. Well, it, while you're riding it, it's 3D printing it and making it available for people to uh, to buy. So I try to have that mindset of at least a, a bottom A full line. car? Well, yeah, that would be a great prize. It's great to live in that blue sky chair. I mean, that's the yeah. reason why most kids want to become Imagineers uh, is that that I want to dream about the impossible and do it. Uh, ultimately, you do have to think about the practical applications of something. So I yes. will I will one up you and I will do all three things and make it fun. <laughs> make all it right. fun. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go ahead and start with my pitch. And I was looking at this space. It, it, it was most recently the NBA experience and it was formerly Disney Quest on this west side of Disney Springs, which was downtown Disney. I, I spent a lot of my college years going uh, to, to downtown Disney, that area, uh, always had a lot of fun out there. And I tended to gravitate towards the West side just because there was easier parking. Uh, they had the, it was the Virgin Megastore. I used to love to go in there and just, you know, just window shop for hours, get a coffee. There was the, uh, the AMC Disney uh, theater uh, that saw, I saw so many first run movies at that theater. And even um the planet of Hollywood. I remember on my 16th birthday, I thought, oh, there was nothing more fancy than, oh, look at me. I'm going to the, the planet Hollywood. Absolutely loved it. And when you look at an aerial map of, of Disney Springs now, which includes the original Disney Village area, you have the former Pleasure Island area, and you have the West Side. You can kind of divvy them up into three main sections, one of them being the what I, the village is really the Disney area, especially Disney shopping. There are a couple of restaurants over there. Then you get into the, the former Pleasure Island area, which is heavily focused on dining and drinking experiences. Really great. I love that Jock Lindsay's hangar bar. I don't think half of, I know, I don't think 90% of the people that go into Jock Lindsay's hangar bar understand that it's supposed to be themed to a minor Indiana Jones character. But it is, and it's done very well. Yeah, actually, that was closed, unfortunately, because of COVID. The bars were all kind of shut down uh, from that. So I could, but I did get to, to take a peek in there, and it looked really good. I it's mean, a lot theming, of fun. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought the theming. I'm like, I wish this was open. I want I want to go in there. It's one so, of those yeah. things that I almost I almost wish it was like in Hollywood Studios, right next to the Indiana Jones stunt show, so people could exactly. Yeah. You can think you can think of all of this area of Disney Springs kind of being the Vegas Strip of Walt Disney World. Well, sure. now that they're uh, allow they're breaking Walt's uh, rule and allowing alcohol in Disneyland. I mean, if you're going to do it, at least give me the bar that was in Indiana Jones right oh, next yeah. to the, you know, <laughs> the, 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 the Nepal. Yeah. 
I would have liked that instead of what they did with the Jungle Cruise restaurant, uh, the little <clears throat> little dine. I would have loved that bar being right next to the Tiki Room. If you're going to break that rule, I'm against that rule of alcohol in Disneyland. But but if you're going to do it, you know, at least make it fun. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so and, and see, and, and Mark and I are East Coasters, so we're more Disney World uh, devotees. So in my mindset, uh, if you want a drink, you go to Epcot. You know, that's what that's for. That's for the adults. And you go to the you go to the World Showcase and you can uh, go get a little I've, I've heard I, I've, I've heard if you make it around the circle that's a good day sure you make, yeah you survived a... there's something called <laughs> the around the world there's something called the monorail crawl around the magic kingdom seven seas lagoon that's fun I, too. I would i would stop at the mexican section and the margaritas would end my circle <laughs> <laughs> yeah so That'd going back to that to that aerial view i was talking about looking at the springs in three parts the the west side of the springs which sort of ends with the Cirque du Soleil theater that was purpose built for the originally their uh, uh, Lanuba show. And I know they're coming up with a, a new show that's supposed to be more Disney character centric, which I thought was interesting that the Cirque guys were, were receptive to that, but I'm glad that they're bringing life back to that corner. And again, just like I said, I've seen some incredible acts at that house of blues i've seen metallica play i had james hetfield look me in the eye and say what do you want to hear and i said bleeding me and he said that's a good song and make whoa <laughs> he's 20 feet away from me what, what is what is going on here i'm at disney and across the way where, where disney quest was this is my pitch this is what i want and it took me a while to think about this because i was going to go a different route but i really want to think this is the entertainment district of Disney Springs, and there's room to expand. There's room beyond the uh, Cirque du Soleil Theater. There's lots of empty green spaces still left to develop. Let's focus on that entertainment. And what has Walt Disney done since, what, the mid-90s with Beauty and the Beast, Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, and The Lion King? They have these massively successful Broadway shows. Now, one of the problems people often say, like, what are the failures of Disney's MGM Studios as an actual working studio is, well, all your actors are going to be out in Hollywood. That's a West Coast thing. But a flight down from New York only takes about mm, two hours uh, as opposed to a cross country. So that's where I want to build. And I couldn't come up with a good idea of what I wanted to build. The new Amsterdam Theater in New York is not necessarily a visual spectacle even though it runs so many of the disney shows so it may need a we may need a brand new radical design something that fits there but also stands out and this would be a premier place to see those disney level broadway productions we've just recently they announced that they're going to be bringing back the uh the finding nemo uh stage show at Animal Kingdom, but it's going to be limited. And I think when they mean by limited is it's not going to have as many impressive actors or set pieces. Now, they still have an incredible Lion King show in Animal Kingdom that is somewhat inspired by the Broadway show. Uh, but this is, I think, an opportunity to, to bring some nighttime entertainment uh, for the adults and even the kids, uh, but, but bringing, bringing those different runs and using it to promote the Disney Broadway brand in Disney World and beyond. So you, you would have special engagements of the 
the Mary Poppins show they did. They did Newsies. Um, bring them in and cycle them through. And you can even have day shows with the, uh, with the understudies that, at, at maybe a reduced rate. Uh, and I just feel like if you could do that and if you could really hit on that, maybe there could even there be a future for that part of the Springs to really be the entertainment portion. So, hey, let's let's go to Disney Springs. We'll get dinner and a show and actually and actually get a Broadway quality show that is, you know, as as they tend to focus on now, part of their Disney brand. Yeah, a few years well, I ago. Think, I, think, go ahead. I was going uh, to say Walt Disney, I think, would probably like this because, you know, when he was doing his animated movies, he put his artists into college, basically art school, and they had live animals that they were drawing from. But Walt was always about the craftsmanship of the art of it all. And uh, as much as you have these wonderful shows like um, the Magic Map at, at Disneyland, where you've got these top tier singers that are coming out, it's really a slice. I mean, I think there's the singers are just as good as anything that you would see in a Broadway show, but it's missing, of course, the show and the story. It's just a slice with that really amazing singer. And they did have Aladdin, which was a full show, but it was still one tier down from what you would probably get from, from Broadway. And uh, I just think Walt would go for that. He'd want to push the boundaries on how can we reinvent Broadway so that it's got fully articulated, really elaborate um, stages and maybe really get technology in there that really crosses a line, you know, and, and breaks new ground. I, I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I saw the Aladdin show at the Fox Theater here um, last year in Atlanta, and they had the magic carpet up there flying on stage, and I was sitting there in the audience trying to figure out how in the hell does that damn thing work. <laughs> it was really, really fascinating. But they yeah, had that at Disneyland too, uh, and yeah. I, I know how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling. I'm not telling. Yeah. Magic, I was. Disney I magic. saw. The, I yeah. saw that Disney. I saw the the show at Disney's California Adventure uh, of Aladdin, and I was. I'm a huge fan of that movie. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. And I was really blown away by that production. And as someone who had been to Disney theme parks hundreds of times and seen many different shows. And in fact, uh, I, I, I had a close friend of mine who was a puppeteer in a Lion King stage show that was in the Magic Kingdom for a, a brief while in the early 2000s. And I think all those puppeteers were probably a little too expensive for a a theme park attraction. But so I was blown away by the level of uh, immersion and detail in that Aladdin show. And, and I really feel like, Hey, sure. We can't put Broadway quality in a park, but here, but putting it in the Springs, it's an opportunity to be a little upscale. You, you, you're not that far from the, the, the high end uh, areas of Orlando with Windermere. So you're going to have locals that are going to want to come out and see these shows as well. Uh, but also, you know, try to drive some activity and drive some foot traffic down to that West side. Cause I'm going to tell you, even before COVID it, that, it gets to be a ghost town there by the end. I don't, I think there's a lot of people that don't even know there is that house of blues. Uh, and that, that bums me out. Cause I love that experience, the seeing the acts there and even the restaurant there is an incredible quality. Um, it was so pretty just, packed when I went uh, even during the, the height and everybody's wearing masks. And everybody, I, it, oh, I'm it glad to hear bad. that. That's good. Yeah, there was a lot of people there in that downtown section, uh, the Disney Springs. I was blown away. I mean, it 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 is way more impressive than what we've got here in California. Downtown Disney is a little strip, very much like CityWalk is 
And I think that's kind of where they got the idea. You know, Universal again ate their lunch and said, <laughs> hey, you know, when you're coming to the park, have some, have a dinner and movie. <laughs> so Disney picked up on that, did downtown Disney, and then ultimately really knocked it out of the park, I think, uh, with Disney Springs. I was blown away. I, yeah, well, I, I could have hung out there all day. <laughs> welcome to 43 square miles of opportunity. <laughs> exactly. You know, when you got room, when you got room. But I think even if you have a, a spectacular, technically spectacular show, the thing that Walt knew best was that you still needed real good, talented people um, to bring it to life. And it's those individual actors. We had this really incredible genie, and I, I wish at the top of my head I could remember his name because he's actually a friend of mine on Facebook, and I can't remember his name. But um, he is probably, he was probably one of the best genies I've ever seen. I laughed out loud to tears because he would improv um, and, and just bring so much to the show that uh, and relevant topics that were a little a little racy at times he would be making comments on justin bieber and whatever problem he was going through it was so cool and um having actually met uh robin williams a couple times uh people robin would have really would have liked that guy uh that's what that that's what makes it interesting because you know you're going to go back to the show and you're not going to see the exact same show you're going to see something that's on the fly and kind of wild and fun and it's a little different. It's not so cookie cutter, you know, and that's what makes the Jungle Cruise so fun, you know, because you just never know how the performance is going to be put out there. Even though the script's pretty, pretty similar. It's that personality and that yeah. the cast members that is that makes Disney so much different than any other park in the world. So, Jeff, one thing I like about your idea is that yeah. there, there was a D23 a couple of years ago that we got the announcement that there would be a Broadway style theater in the Magic Kingdom. That's right. Tony's Town Square. And that has been since cut from the budget. And I was actually glad they did that because it's not the proper place to put a Broadway theater in the middle of a theme park where you have to enter a gate <laughs> to get to that gate to get into the theater. And it was, it was a little strange, a little odd for me. You had, you know, the part, just parking to get into the Magic, Magic Kingdom at all is to some a nuisance quite honestly especially and, if you're just purposely going there for a show and nothing exactly. else disney disney springs is the proper place for that so this yeah that, there was a little bit of that but i was bringing the table and i'm going to digress and tell i want to tell uh joel a brief story of one time i was in the magic kingdom with my wife and we went on the jungle cruise we just decided hey jungle cruise doesn't have a line it's early in the morning let's go hop on it it was it was us and one other couple in the boat and the skipper was just doing his darndest, telling his corniest jokes, making us all laugh. And, you know, we're sitting there enjoying ourselves. And the and the other couple is just on their phones the entire time. They're not paying attention. They're not looking. They don't care. And finally, right before we go into the, uh, the mysterious temple, the cast member takes his microphone down, looks at, the, looks at those two and say, guys, it's really hard to do this when you're on your phones. And my wife started laughing so hard, <laughs> so uncontrollably. Yeah. And then, yeah. and she's also laughing out of embarrassment because they're right there. They know she she's laughing at them. And then right when we get out of the tunnel, he gets on the microphone and looks at my wife and says, that was pretty funny, wasn't it? Now, listen, I, I feel bad for that cast member, that skipper. But it's really pointing out a problem that Disney has, which mm -hmm. is people have seen it. They've seen it a bazillion times. It's nothing new. And uh, people are getting distracted with other things that they can look at. And uh, so it's a problem. It's a problem. It's a big problem. And now, it, they, now it's it, on purpose, too. You're, you're yeah. going to be trying to set up their next attraction visit. <laughs> right, right. I mean, they're encouraging you looking at your phone. So you can set up your pictures. You can order your food. I mean, 
everybody's staring at the phones now and they're missing the magic. And so that's why I think my idea might, uh, might change all that. <laughs> let's, let's, well, Mark, you said you wanted to let Joel go between. So yeah, let's go ahead I'm, and I'm nice, excited. nice, nice segue, right? Like yeah, I, I know how to do this. this. I know how to do this. All right. Well, um, I always wanted to, you know, ever since I saw Star Trek, the next generation and I saw the holodeck, I'm like, wow, that is it. That's the end all. I mean, who wouldn't want a holodeck in their house where you can just say, I want to go to the Western spaghetti Western and I'm in it. I think Scott and, Adams called this the last, the last invention mankind will ever make. Well, at, at least in terms of visual entertainment. Sure. I think that is, you know, aside from like maybe an interim technology of like Westworld, which maybe you don't necessarily want to experience, uh, <laughs> but, but it is kind of a next, you know, I think that's, that is the final thing and and maybe at some point we'll be able to plug in and you know i i know that elon musk is working on this incredible device that allows you to control computers with your mind and then somebody trumped him and did even better um right after that so i mean i i think we're headed to that transcendence at, at some point and that might be very scary for a lot of people uh thinking we could uh, achieve the matrix like experiment but i did have this idea which surprisingly elon musk mentioned which is that you know, think about where I started in this conversation where 16 colors and look where we are now. Mm -hmm. Where will we be in 100 years? Uh, yeah. Elon Musk brought that up. I'm like, wow, yeah. Could we ultimately simulate reality? Of course we could. Of course we can. That, I think, is achievable at some point in our, in our future. So how would we do that right now, today? Well, I've got a great idea. I would take Disney Quest and I would build out an incredibly complex, very inexpensive uh, vacuum-formed plastic maze. Now, vacuum-formed plastic is what we use in Hollywood to create facades. You can, for example, make one really good brick system or uh, you know, a stone system, and then you take the vacuum-formed plastic and you mold it to that, that print, and it takes the shape of that brick. And then you paint it to look like brick, and it's a very inexpensive way of building walls or whatever. And um, so we would build out this really inexpensive maze, kind of like Doom, you know, and maybe some of the walls move, some of them rearrange. Maybe we even have a room that simulates an elevator, even though it's not going anywhere. Maybe we have ride vehicles in there that you can hop into, but none of it is painted. You don't need paint. You don't need anything to pretty it up. Instead, we would use augmented reality glasses. In fact, Microsoft has a really sophisticated augment, augmented reality glasses coming out where it would uh, base. Yeah, exactly. Where you would put these glasses on, you could see the real world through it. So we would be able to see real people interacting with you, cast members that are playing their part in full, full outfit, you know, full uniform. So let's say we wanted to go to Star, Star Wars land, you know. Uh, what we would do is we'd get inside a, a, uh, a ride vehicle, similar to like, let's say, Star Tours. But instead of it being a bumpy ride, maybe that's where you have hors d'oeuvres. You know, you're leaving the planet and going to another planet. So you're in, and in fact, they did, you know, I had this idea probably about 20 years ago. <laughs> and, uh, it's funny because if you go on Ride of the Resistance, they have this part of the attraction already built. Uh, you know, I had kind of a foreshadowing of how that would work. And so you take the shuttle and you go somewhere else. And you're looking out the windows with these really great, at the time I was thinking you know, like uh, liquid crystal TV, uh, simulation TVs and monitors and stuff like that, which at the time was the highest quality 
simulation. But now we've got really high-end LED TVs that can really make you think, think you're looking out a window. So you would be in the shuttle and you could have all your hors d'oeuvres. You can have your appetizers. You can order your meal. You can dress, you can go into a locker room and dress up and get into your uniform, you know, and uh, then eventually you'd land on the planet. So you enter in one door and exit out the opposite side. That way you've really not gone anywhere, but you have, right? And then we come into a dome projection system using my Oceania Oceania technology I was talking about with the world's Lisbon fair mm-hmm. um, or, you know, soaring over California for those Disney people that are familiar with that. And you put a giant dome over a club. And when you look out the window, you can just see this world that you're in. But let's say that you actually want to go to your hotel room or you want to go on an adventure. Well, you can have your fun in this in, where you're eating in this beautiful um, environment. You got the, the you got all the cast members are aliens. They've got full makeup on. They're talking to you. Ah, so you're visiting here from Earth. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> and have that interaction. Maybe you're looking out the window. You're seeing you're underwater. You're, you're in a saucer and you're looking out the window and you're seeing oh, wow. incredible alien creatures going by. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm how amazing thinking- would that be? You could almost have a crossover between things going on Disney Plus. You know, we just saw the whole um, right Loki series where he's a variant and he's in these different worlds all the time and he's seeing different versions of himself. And well, exactly. You, you could literally set up a day that's that's just to that theme, and you could walk in there and see variants of you. <laughs> well, the whole room could be yeah. a saucer that you're in that could take mm-hmm. you to different places on the planet. And of course, yeah. you got to be careful with the motion simulator part of it because you don't want people throwing up their food. But yeah. if you did it right, maybe you're just blinking there. There's a teleportation way of getting around versus flying, which may again cause nausea for for most yeah. people. So you if don't you, want if that. If you do it right, if you do it but, right, there's a way to pull that off. Let's say that the the saucer gets attacked. Well, now you're on an adventure. You've had dinner, and now let's go have some fun. So you put on the AR glasses, right? Mm-hmm. And you can see straight through them. But once you enter into that corridor of very inexpensive uh, vacuum form plastic, we do what's called – I came up with this term. It's called real-world texturing. And you would simply – You would build the exact same maze in 3D and then using telemetry to know your exact pinpoint location in 3D space in the real world, it would line up the visuals and using a little little help with with real-world mapping, slap those textures right on that brick. So the brick will, when you feel it, it's actually there. You can actually touch the wall. See, this is look like anything. This is where (laughs) this is where I want to tell you, Joel. This is what's going to be next level. I've done a couple of times the void experience. I did the. uh, I wrote the white paper, and I know those guys saw it. Yeah, and (laughs) but this is they're behind me on this. But but you're right because when you wear when you're when you're 100 VR, everyone in my party kept inching forward just a little bit and then they lift their goggles like am i gonna bump into a wall okay no and so they didn't trust it and and there was even a part where there's a there's a vr because you're because you're that's that's complete vr it is you need that ar you need that you need it that's exactly right keep going i'm right so so aside from you so when you take the glasses off you're looking at a really ugly looking building it's the it's the 
you know, it's like pulling the curtain back from the Wizard of Oz. You're seeing the tricks. But you put those glasses back on, and you should be able to take your glasses off so that you can actually walk around in that room without, you know, if you had an emergency, you'd want a, the simulation to be over. So instead of, like, telling somebody that simulation's over, you just take the glasses off and walk out the exit. Um, but when you're in there, you could have wind, heat, you can have all kinds of things. You can go into an elevator and then the room recalibrates itself with the virtual, with the actual props, you know, these, in, you know, these actual physical things that are made cheaply. And you come back out and you think you're on a different floor, but really you're on, you're on the same floor. It just felt like you went somewhere visually, just like Haunted Mansion. Mm. And then, but you're, but you're in a different place entirely. So there's there's so many po po potentials for how that can go, and the limitations are really endless. But the ability to actually, you know, have like a, a, a laser gun and you're firing at real people that may have sensors that just like laser tag picking up um, the the hits, or just you can have simulated CG characters, monsters, bosses that you're fighting, which would be really fun, or being you know chasing you down the. Uh, <laughs> down the hallway uh like like uh that giant octopus looking thing in in solo i or no in in the uh, harrison ford was uh in the last movie he had a giant oh, for force awakens yeah yeah the yeah the force awakens. awakens you have that thing coming down at you i mean it would be intense <laughs> and again you could feel the walls you could feel the texture of the walls they're actually there but because of the simulation, you could really control the experience much like the real holodeck would by just designing the world to keep you going in circles, thinking that you're going somewhere else. And that, my friends, is how you do the holodeck yes. today. <laughs> and you're going to have to have an industry leader like a Disney or even yeah. Universal yeah. really be the first ones to tackle that. That's where you're going to see it. Not well, the latency, the latency is really becoming a non-issue, and the quality of the visuals are, are again, we're getting to that uncanny valley. We're crossing it, and we already did it with the deep fake, you know, with the deep Tom Cruise that's on TikTok. It's mind blowing. They took thousands of examples of his face to create a perfect Tom Cruise model, and this guy looks exactly like him, and I can't tell that it's a simulation. So we're very, very close to breaking barriers that we thought were unachievable not even 10 years ago so i think this is very doable now it's just a matter of us doing it and i can't imagine it's going to be too expensive and the benefit of this technology is if you don't like the simulation you could change it pretty easily it's different yes. than traditional attractions where they're built in with actual physical animatronics that break down you have to maintain this is just simple walls with a visual which is right. all that disneyland has really uh, ben up until recently, you know? Yeah, you yeah, can one one person could want a, a Wild West simulation, other person could want a medieval Game of Thrones theme or something like that. Whatever. Yeah. The limit no limitations. You could be wherever. I mean, it really and look, you could instead of you being on and you could even I originally thought this would be cool if you were on like a train or something like that. And you, you had different time periods, you know, like you had a submarine if you wanted to go to a deep, deep underwater planet. You'd be in a train car if you wanted to go to a Western land, you know, or you would be in a space shuttle if you wanted to go to another planet. And and you would the, the appetizer car would be themed to wherever you were headed. And uh I just think that's this is fun. That's what people want to do. And they, yeah. they want to be in character. They want to be dressed up themselves, interacting with people that really believe they're there. <laughs> I think know? this is gonna be a good experimental space that's, that's useful for the entire corporation. You could have Imagineers plan for the space, plan for the experiences, and, and the the people in that do the Pixar 
productions could be involved with it all the time. Well, I can't say year after year, you could change it and change it and change it. And and as technology progresses, it's really easy to shift everything accordingly and and advance it. It's a, that's the beauty of this thing It's very, very, well, I just told everybody in the world and we're putting this in record here of this idea. Uh So I I put it out there as open source. So anybody can do it. If they got the money, do it, hire me. I'll, I'll tell you how to do it. Right. But, but, just just to be honest, this is my end goal, aside from a show that I'm trying to get produced <laughs> where I've got toy technology, toy toy store for real technology I've worked on with my par- business, business partner for 10 years. Let me just touch on that real quick, yeah, sure. which can also be another part of this simulation. We've got this little $5 device. It's the size of a pack of gum. We can put this into any toy, a plush toy, for example. Just put, a, put the standalone unit in a little pocket in the belly and a little flap comes over it that allows you to press the content button and boom this thing will these toys will talk to each other and control robotics you get a millions of toys talking to each other indefinitely at cd quality sound it is toy story for real and the benefit of this is it can interact with movies television games and attractions like this one so imagine having a yoda (laughs) (laughs) right next to you that is you're carrying on your back and he's talking to you he's telling you where to go and he's interacting with the virtual characters just and, and the real people. If, if we wanted that to happen, that we could do that right now. Mm-hmm. And so the, uh, the, the pal Mickey times 20. <laughs> yeah. You know, pal Mickey was a problematic uh, technology. I read about that and it failed. They, they were using kind of a antiquated uh, technology. I think it had a lot of potential, but uh, we can have millions of toys talking to each other right now and interacting with any product. So we're just looking for investors for that. And I'm, pretty close to getting them so this is the end goal is to try to build an amusement park that comes to you and just to kind of elaborate on on that idea of the holodeck aside from having a physical location at disney i always thought that we could uh, we could do this at your home so that you put on the air glasses and it, it wherever you look like for example if you're looking at a picture on your wall well, i can replace the picture you know i can turn it into like pete the magic dragon and as you get closer it knows that you're getting closer because that's how AR a- a- works it's doing real-time mapping, it will not only replace that picture with the Pete the Magic Dragon, but as you get closer to it, maybe the dragon comes alive and comes out of the painting and you're fighting it, you know? And maybe it's recognizing a chair as a chair, and we're just skinning it as a cartoon chair, you know? And so there's a way of doing this right now with existing technology, with the Unreal Engine, much like uh, what you see in video games, but doing it in your real world. <laughs> I, can, I can even think of some practical commercial applications. Imagine you're doing an open house of some real estate and you uh, have all of your furniture scanned into your AR goggles. And then the algorithm determines, okay, here's the dining room. Here's what the dining room would look like with your dining room table. With well, here's- Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's already amazing engines out there that can extrapolate a space and kind of organically populate a room in a to natural do that, way. But to do that from a point of view in a, in a pseudo three-dimensional way where you're, you're in the space and then see the virtual items. I think that could really oof, be neat. Yeah. Just a side well, note here on Twitter, there's a, there's a user, his, um, his handle is at futureport 82. He's a, he's in Australia right now. And he has, he's a developer using unreal engine. He is designing right now Epcot center in 1982 fully populated every nook and cranny every wall trim every paint edge every bush everywhere and, and trying to create it 
you know, a foundation for this environment to be used for anything else. It's really incredible. I, I have seen uh, Disneyland in Minecraft, for example. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's people that are just obsessed with building a virtual simulation. And, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, look, how can, how open-ended can we make this? Can we make this an open-ended world where anybody can contribute to it? There are massive, massive libraries out there of models. Uh, TurboSquid is a great uh, example of that. Although, you know, I've downloaded a lot of models from that group and, some of them are incredibly heavy and wouldn't work in a real-time scenario at all. But, you know, so there would have to be a standards and practices for how people could contribute a high-end model that would work within the simulation. But you could open it up to the public and a lot of the work can be done freely, you know, just with people contributing and wanting to be a part of that magic. And I think that to me is something I'd want to do. Yeah. I mean, why limit it to just the Imagineers? Open it up to all of the world's creative thinkers yes. out there that would love yes. to be a part yes. of something like that. I mean, come yes. on, let's do it, guys. You're, yeah. you're just, we're limiting ourselves to a handful of people and then who are overrun by bean counters now that are lim limiting and hindering creativity. This I see it in a lot of creative industries right now. This is the so, ultimate experimental platform for those type of creative individuals. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Spielberg was talking about it with the last movie he did, Ready Player One. But, you know, I, I think I look at that movie and think that's not the future I want. I don't want that future. I don't want to tune out where the real world sucks. <laughs> the, <laughs> the virtual world is the one. I, I mean, I don't like the Lawn Mower Man um, kind Small of foreshadowing of the future. I, it's not yeah. good. So with it has to come responsibility on these on these technologies. And I think that's where the where there's going to be a, there's going to be battles with with society as we slowly disengage and turn you know turn on and tune out in, in a different way. <laughs> with to use an old seventies analogy, I mean that it really is kind of. You know, it's creating a dopamine effect, video games. And it's one of the reasons why after 28 years, I left the video game business because I saw what it was doing to families and um, the amount of uh, time that teenagers and kids and just adults spend on those things. I heard people wearing diapers because they didn't want to get up. They were in a they were in a group. And, uh, you know, so there's, there's there's problems with this and we have to think about those problems and. Yeah, we, we, we want to have freedom and stuff like that. We want to have free virtual uh, vacations and stuff like that that are affordable to everybody. But with it has to you have to you have to come in with responsibility too. Yeah, I think so. starting it at a, at a location like like Disney Springs could help control that. Yeah, I, I think and, that would, they'd own. have to leave it. They couldn't yeah. take it at home yet. Yeah. <laughs> but at some point when you get that experience and there will be a home developer that will figure out a way to make it for home use. Yes. It's just inevitable. I mean, that's the thing. Everything is going to be achieved. We'll, I think at some point, figure out how to arrest the aging process, you know, or, you know, one of the most controversial subjects on earth is the abortion uh, subject, which I'm, I'm just going to touch on here because I, when I spoke at uh, Harvard, I actually got to meet the, the and see a, a virtual, no, a, a real world um, artificial womb. And, and, you know, at some point, <laughs> technology is going to force us to really uh, delve into, we could do it, but should we do it? <laughs> you yeah, know, I mean, a Jurassic there's, Park moment. <laughs> there's, there's already right now robotic surgery machines where the doctor can operate from afar. Right, right. In a different I mean, city, different continent. You know, you're just hoping and praying that internet connection is solid. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, how how do you uh, how do you deal with with that abortion 
bumper sticker where everybody says my body, my choice, when an artificial womb kind of takes you out of the equation. I mean, my, my three kids are in vitro. So, you know, I, I'm intimately familiar with how technology can give us things that we didn't exactly expect. And so I think that, uh, one, the idea that I have here is great, but I think it does come with a tremendous amount of responsibility. And I think just putting it in that Disney Quest space and you have yeah. to play it and then leave, that's one way to handle that. But at some point. Yeah. So would <laughs> yeah, you have yeah. a name for this? Um, probably, probably can't call it the holodeck. Maybe it's Disney Space. How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, if I was going to brand it for Disney, it would have to be like Disney Space. Why, yeah. Yeah, why not? <laughs> the ultimate Disney that's perfect. Space. I think there might be some liabilities there, but uh, <laughs> with your show, no, and that's, they own the name. And of course it would, yeah. it makes sense to call it that. That's a good name actually for it. Yeah. How appropriate. <laughs> you know, Joe, real quick. One of the points you were just got my mind going down a rabbit hole of, of you were mentioning just people across the globe and, and we're talking about a, a famous Star Trek technology with the, with the holodeck. But I was also thinking about augmented reality and, and the way AI can work with that. And, and, and the hope for the future and, and, and for peace, the idea of the universal translator, the idea that we can communicate with anybody, right. they could wear, you know, an earpiece. And so we, I communicate in English, they can speak in another language, but we can both understand each other and a, vir- and a virtual space that could be done. Oh, yes. Much more seamlessly uh, where you're not hearing the feedback or or getting the uh, what you would call the, uh, the like the Japanese a monster movie dubbing better effect. yet better yet there's a lot of linguistics out there you guys that study and girls that study the uh, different fantasy languages like Klingon for example there are people that know Klingon how cool would it be to be in that space and then they're talking Klingon but you're hearing it in English, <laughs> you know, you hear them talking to you in this alien language, but the translator, the is, you know, come on, we could do it. The elven language, for example, you know, there's so yeah. many amazing languages. Pandora. Um, yeah. Speaking of which, the guy that wrote uh, Tolkien was, was a, uh, was a master yeah, in language. Yeah. And, and it, yeah. And he was a linguist. Yeah. And he invented some languages there. So we could have fun with that. If you get actors that really know what they're doing and maybe they just know a few lines that are important, you know, because, but that could really add another level of depth to this, you know, by a landslide. Yeah. That'd be All great. Right. I, I like, like your idea. You just plussed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. a thing here. We like to plus it. Each other so, Mark, show. we got the bulldozers ready. What are you going to build? Yeah, I think we're going to need those bulldozers for this one. I, I don't know where I'm going to place in this. This might be a third place on, on this to call tonight, but let's hear me out. I, I'm going to actually fill in a gap where I see a gap. And it's, oh. it's, it's kind of so it may actually be a little bit of a blend between the physical and a little bit of Joel's idea. But, um, you know, it's really challenging to think how to fill such a giant space in Disney Springs or or Disney Quest is now gone, and NBS experience is now defunct. And it's, it's really hard to come up with something that really works, not just out of the gate, but for the long haul. I think it'll be a constant challenge for Disney. Um, but <clears throat> I think if I, if I was going to look at the space, it'd be uh, a great it'd be a great spot for a super target. <laughs> <laughs> How long will that last? <laughs> I'm not giant Walmart. A super but, you know, Walmart, yeah. In the past, yeah, in the past, the space has really had an attraction focus versus a something else focus. And so I'm I'm going to sort of move over to a something else focus. And it's something else that Disney has had some of these things that I'm about to pitch in other other venues. 
Um, but here I go. But, but I think, but first, before I need to explain this, I need to, I need to take a step sideways and discuss the corporate dimension and consider some basic ideas of corporate structure and accounting. I know that's boring, but it'll, it'll kind of lead to why this idea might have some. Where's this going, man? Where's this going? <laughs> going I, I, little... I, your, 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 your listeners are falling asleep all of a sudden. So, you said so, accounting. That's like the so, death yeah. knell. <laughs> If, but if you think of if you get think out of the, the third chair, we sit in the if first you're chair. Counter, it's, I'm it's gonna, you out. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be related to all of our ideas. But if you think if you think of the Walt Disney Corporation, it's it's a very large decentralized organization, but it cross pollinates between its, its various business units. So you, know, you have the studio side of the business that has the the Disney Studios, the animation, Pixar. Marvel Studios, Lucasfilm, 20th Century Studios, you got Parks and Resorts, you got the Cruise Line, you got Disney Digital, you have network and cable TV property, you got, you got a lot, just go to go.com and you'll see everything they have. It's a big web page full of the mess of business units throughout the corporation. So what you're saying is that Disney owns everything. Yeah, okay. almost. Right. <laughs> <laughs> almost. They're headed to it. So you the know, question is, how does everything that how, Comcast hasn't bought already? <laughs> yeah, and, and these are really essentially independent corporate entities that have their own leadership teams, their own management structures, their own budgets, their own subcultures, all of that. And since Disney is one overarching company, we often see these th these businesses work together and kind of cross pollinate with each other. And this is partly why we see Galaxy's Edge and two theme parks. It's Star Wars related. We have Marvel Day at Sea on the cruise lines. We have why we have Frozen and Ratatouille in World Showcase. We have Muppet Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. We have Disney I see where parks. you're going with this. We're going to take all the accountants and put them in one building and then <laughs> they look at them through a window. No, <laughs> no, that's not where we're going. It's not going to get boring here. I promise you. All right. All right. All right. So, so, so the the general idea is what can we do with the sharing of content and make something that can can pay itself off and work and be functional mm. and, and and last and, and help the company so if we if we really dive down the the into the aspects of the corporate structure we can see the notion of cost centers and profit centers and they relate to the idea of how one to spend you got to spend money to save money or to, to make money over the long haul so these things kind of work together um, co costs can often drag down a company and kill their profitability, but if done right, if capitalized right, costs can actually enable it and increase the profitability. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm starting to sound like Chapik here, but, but the basic idea is you, when you look at a theme park and you look at a, something like, um, let's just take the Hollywood Hotel, the, the Tower of Terror. When, when you look at it, it's, it's, it's not really in and of itself making money it's a cost center so you know it's people people come up to it they ride it they experience it they walk away from it they they observe it they enjoy it but you know discounting the little shop there they're but not you want to live there you want to live there in I that hotel right there. i want to live there but the, <laughs> but but so why does disney have the tower of terror at all because they have this ticket gate and they have this this app this my disney experience app where you pay to come to the parks and it's an attract. It's it's money that Disney spends to make to have this attraction to bring the people in. To and make while you're there, money. you buy a five dollar thing of so, of sugar water that yes. costs them ten cents. <laughs> yeah. So these attractions are the cost centers. The ticket gates are the profit centers, and so are the the merch shops and all that. And so what what I'm trying to what I want to come up with is something that's not really a place that's an attraction. It's not really a place where people go to spend money, but it's something I think Disney could use to help one one of the areas of their their business, and that's the cruise line. So I want to take a look at the cruise line. You have the you have the Magic One and Wonder ships of the Magic class. The, these are huge cruise ships. 
these smaller ships, the small ships, they house 2,700 passengers and 875 staterooms. The, the dream and fantasy ships, the bigger, the bigger class, the, what they call the dream class ships, they have 4,000 passengers and 1,250 staterooms, a lot of people. They're big, they're big. They're big, and they have, they got, a, the Wish is coming out very soon, and they got three more ships behind that, and I guarantee you they'll have 10 more ships in the next 20 years. All around the world, it's a whole giant business in and of itself. Well, right? let's see how COVID goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah, but even that, you know, they, they're, they had, you know, this is actually something that could help that. Okay. So right right now, today, they have 280 departures per year, ranging from three to 14 night sailings around the world. Um, so it's, it's handling a lot of people all the time, lots and lots of transactions. And so the, the question is, is what what do you do actually? What, what does Disney do? What, what all kind of tools does their marketing department or people have to bring all these people into that business constantly all the time not just returning pe sailors but new, pe well, new people at disneyland at disneyland they have uh they have the the vacation people and they have a big book that shows you what the rooms will look like and it's just they yeah. they talk you through it i mean that's yeah. currently what they do yeah yeah and so there's lots of different solutions for that and I'm going to ask a question here. I'm, I'm sure Jeff will be able to answer it right away. Right. Joel, let's see if Joel can answer it. Oh, and, and, and this is this is going to be in quotes. Have you heard of Disney's best kept secret? <laughs> That's a can of worms. I'm not going to even attempt to answer it. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, can you answer it? So isn't that the marketing slogan for the Disney Vacation Club, which yes. I'm going to just call a timeshare? Yes, that's exactly yeah, what it is. And that's, I've kind of stayed away from it. So anything that sounds like timeshare, even if it's fully articulated out with like rooms and stuff like that, I just, yeah, I just kind of stay away from those things because I, I, yeah, this is what I thought. It, Jeff. it caters to a particular group of people that have money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> none of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think Jeff was able to answer that because Disney World is very populated full of Disney Vacation Club everything. Disneyland has a taste of it. Um, I'm going to tell yeah. you in the Magic Kingdom, I think every major land has a kiosk that's manned yes. by at least one, if not two people. And they're not high pressure sales. They won't approach you and say, you got to come listen to my pitch. But if you give them a casual nod, they say, hey, how's it going? And then whoop, then if it's someone like my mother-in-law, uh, they'll talk up Ken like they do in Louisiana and, and stand there for 45 minutes. The next thing you know, we've got two weeks at uh uh saratoga springs what happened what? <laughs> so mark um, are yeah. you thinking mark on this idea that you've got to replace disney quest is it basically um uh, to kind of simulate the ship experience and could yeah, you yeah, or is that what you, and could yeah, you me, stay in it or is, let, it, is let, it just for looks let me let me get to that let me get to that yeah if i get back on the dvc system you know like jeff like jeff mentioned there's kiosks all over the park where there's all kinds of promotional materials and it's a challenge for disney marketing all the time to populate the disney vacation club and it's something that's churning all that they're always making new properties they're replacing people who've left and so you know they have this litany of salespeople and informational brochures and buyer's guides and mail-in dvds and youtube videos and and testimonials from bloggers and bloggers and just a litany of tools they use to constantly pull people to buy in. Well, one of the good things about Dis about the DVC product is that it's on land. You know, if you want to get into that, you're, you're sort of already familiar with what it's like to be in a timeshare or a hotel. And if you're a little bit particular about it, you can, you can sort of gain comfort knowing that it, you're, you're, you got a parking place to put your car, you can go to the store if you want to, you know, 
you know, you, you know, you sort of know what to expect. You can you can jump those hurdles to buy into the system, discounting all the other stuff you have to deal with. I, I understand, but that but that marketing pull is always constantly active. Well, it is for the Disney Cruise Line too, but the Disney Cruise Line is a bit more complex because there's a lot of people who who are somewhat hesitant to come to a cruise for a variety of reasons. You know, one of them one of them is you're stuck on a ship the whole time, and you're at sea. And the thing is moving. You're away from your car. You know, if you're if you're at a full day to see, you cannot get off the ship. You hit. You're in there. And so there's that natural hesitancy for many people to to not be able to begin to get full familiarity with what the expectations are with today's all with today's materials. And there's there's well, something just, that, just to play devil's advocate though. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, the point of a cruise is to escape the real world and to go to a destination, yeah, that's which part of the you can get you, you can get off and look around, yeah. right? So uh, yeah. it, it, this is not you would not have a destination, right? Or would you? That that's part of the pitch is that they absolutely they, they would express all of those types of things. You know, when you when you're on a ship, so what you're are you get, looking you're at? Get, all right. So what we're going to do is we're going to take we're going to take the building here and let, let me explain the thing all the way through from beginning to end. If you take if you take the building, what we're going to do is we're actually I'm, I'm looking at it, deconstructing it and rebuilding it because I'm not really sure that the NBA experience building is going to be large enough for, the, for this. Not seaworthy. Yeah. Well, I think the height, I think the, the Disney quest building was a little bit higher. So what, what I'd like to do is actually build a structure inside this building. That is a small replica of what you might see in a ship. Now, of course, we're not going to build a whole ship in that thing. It's too gargantuan and unnecessary. But, but if you think, if you think of Joel, I don't think it was open when you were in Epcot. And I know Jeff is, may have seen this. There's, there's this new restaurant at Epcot at Mission Space called Space 2020. It just opened. It's brand new, and it's really nice. It's you. You walk into this welcoming area, and then they they check you in. You go into an elevator, and the elevator closes its doors. And the elevator has the center little viewing window at the bottom of a lens down onto the plant on Earth, and it has a lens up above. And then the doors close, and then the elevator begins it's a space to rise. Elevator. Yeah, a space elevator. You can see. Yeah. You can see that, you know, like the zoom out of Google Earth experience, you can see Disney World just kind of disappear and you're in the clouds and you can see the tower kind of flowing real fast and all of a sudden it stops. You can look up and you can see yourself park at the space station. I got it. How does that equate to your, uh, your, your story, your it's, idea? It's, it's, it's somewhat similar. When you walk into the space, you're going to walk and you know, you'll walk through the doors. You'll be greeted by a guest, a cast member who was sort of like a guide. You walk into into the building you walk a corridor and you'll be looking at this gargantuan side of a ship and you'll go into a corridor corridor you'll get the purell squirt because everybody you know the ships are all about safety so you get that experience of getting the purell squirt but you'll walk right into an atrium a fully constructed atrium within this building and you look at it and you will feel as if you were on any number of the of the Disney ships that exist to, to really capture that physical impression that some people might need to, to, to cover any of their curiosities. You know, right now, right now for DVC, if you want to really get an exploration of what you're going to buy into, you can get a tour. You can schedule a tour. You, they'll pick you up at Disney Springs. You get on the bus, you go to the, the old Key West resorts and whatever you want to, and they'll walk you around, show you all the amenities. No problem. And the you can Disney actually walk on the boat, right? The, the, 
that's the problem with the Disney cruise ships. They are always active all the time. So there's no opportunity to walk onto the boat without paying to get on the boat. Now it's too that's, bad that they just, I mean, in my opinion, uh -huh. they would be just saving a lot of money instead of building your idea out to just basically making it so that one day they can have a tour of all their ships. You know, one day out of the year is not going to come yeah, into their money yeah, much. That, if it's ultimately a marketing ploy, why not just do it that way and save yourself a, you know, replicating something that would be very expensive that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, I think that would be a, a, a really good way to do it. I agree with that. But I'm just they, trying, I'm trying yeah. to, how do you if, get to the end goal? I mean, if, we, if we're, they, we're half an hour into your idea and I'm thinking, I always like thinking, well, how can we do this faster, cheaper, inexpensively? Because that's how Disney thinks, you know, they're, yeah, the, they're trying the, to. Yeah, and, and the point of having this at Disney Springs is because you have a population of tourists that are already in the area exploring everything already. And if it and it's it is similar to other types of things they do right now for inviting I want to I want to experience well as, wanna... as a Disney fine artist I understand that because being in the Disney Disney and a gallery is a lot better than let's say just being in a remote mall gallery the foot traffic is insane and uh, I get that but ultimately I would still want to go down to like the port of Long ba Long Beach or oh, wherever yes. the ships show up and let me go on it one day yes, and just walk yes. around and it's not going anywhere, but let me just walk in there. Actually, yes. I thought of, a, uh, uh, I know you wanted to say something there. I heard something. Sorry. You want to cut in there? No, no, it's okay. I, I'm, I've got a great idea of how we can take all, all three of our ideas and combine them. Yes. But go ahead. Say, go say what you're going to say. <laughs> so say, I'm going yeah. to push <laughs> yeah. back on Mark probably more than I've ever have in the history of this show and say, Mark, yes. I've grown up in Florida. I love the beaches. I want I'll go a week's resort stay on a beautiful uh, beach in Destin or in St. Pete or in Miami or the Keys. I'm not getting on a cruise ship. I have no desire to spend uh, spend <laughs> yes. five days in a 200 square foot room and a, in a dirty pool. All the kids are peeing and there's nothing about a Disney cruise. And I'm listen, this is and Joel, this is where I go a lot is the Disney fandoms have all these different planets that or they're like moons that orbit planet disney you have the theme park planet you've got the animated films planet. you got the pixar planet you've got like like mark does the marathon running at the run disney planet and you've got the disney cruise ship planet and that's a, that's it. and that's a that's a planet yeah. or a moon that i never have any desire to go to so mark i'm gonna push this on you convince me to go inside this building what is it what is it that's gonna draw me into your yeah, I'm not really a big cruise person either. And to me, yeah. this, this idea sounds like a place I would never want to go. There's a bar in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, I, I, I'm not a big drinker anymore. But uh, all right, all right. Yeah, so, so, how about, and, how about I mean, this? How about this? Yeah. Disc, discounting Jeff and Joel, <laughs> they're not going to go on any cruises. There are, there are many, many people in the population of, of the country that are considering maybe going on a cruise, but, but, but taking that leap is sometimes a $10,000 leap. You understand what I'm saying? Is, well, that's, that's the, you're really hitting yeah. on the, the, the point of your idea there, which we mm -hmm. have to kind of point out. You're talking about a small group of people. It's a niche that are really on the fence. Most people that like, like, like your co-host was saying, most people either want to go or they don't want to go and they've made up their mind and they can either afford or afford it or not. It's that small little niche group of people. And, and you have to kind of, again, if I was a bean counter, which I don't like, uh, I would have to say, is the investment of your idea 
to put this in a place. And again, I'm being in the, the more practical yeah. chair right now. That is, that is an honest it, question. That's why I mentioned to, this. <laughs> yeah. The, does the cost of replicating a, a, a cruise ship justify that niche of money that you would get out of the handful of small group of people that are undecided? And yeah. I don't know if that's the, the risk the, reward thing I want to take. As an the, the answer to your question, Joel, is no. For the question that you asked, but if we were to build the partials of a ship, not just to really persuade people to come on a ship, but just to really introduce any type of visitor that's in Disney Springs to the Disney Cruise Line at all and say, you know, I've never been on a Disney Cruise Line. I've, I will never go on a Disney Cruise Line, but what is it like, you know? All right, I'm going to plus it. I'm going to yeah. do what Walt would do because he yes. would never say no to an idea. Mm -hmm. He wouldn't. He always says, he would always say no but what if we did it this way? So I'm going to take your idea and I'm going to take your co-host's idea. I'm going to merge it with my idea yes. and tell you how we could do all three things in one. How does that sound? That sounds perfect. You excited? Well, you know, you, it, you certainly you've seen the fifth element, right? Bruce Willis, the fifth element? Yep. Bueller? All right. <laughs> Love that. Well, well, that was a flying ship hotel. It was kind of a ship, kind of like a cruise ship, actually. When you're talking about this, I was thinking about the fifth element. I'm like, I want to go on the fifth element. Well, hey, let's 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 make it so that our space, this Disney Quest space, offers something for everybody, not just the individual, the niche, and maybe not just the Broadway people, but let's give them everything in this space, meaning I can go in and just have appetizers in the shuttle and then go to the bar and maybe have that bar experience or that dining experience and that dome projection. Or I can go into an adventure in that maze section where I'm on the deck of a ship and I'm going to my hotel room. And maybe we take your idea, Mark, and we make it so that we can actually see what a fully articulated room looks like where you're actually staying. You know, and you're looking out the window and you're seeing space or whatever, or it's simulating the ocean or however you want to do it. Yeah, and then ultimately you can go to a show. You know, you were doing a Broadway show with aliens, you know. Just oh, I like, love that. They, look, if Disney is all about buying properties, maybe Fifth Element will be in there. And I would love to go to and be in that Fifth Element experience. And you could do that whole thing. That whole thing with all three of our ideas in that one space because you would have the space to do it. And you wouldn't have to do it all. Like you don't have to – You know the Star Wars uh, hotel uh, experience that's coming out. I was so excited about that. sounded a lot like this without my holodeck idea, of course. But it sounded like that. And then when it came out and people found the price – they literally threw their phones at the, at the screen. You know, they, they're like, are you kidding me? This is only for rich people. I will never be able to go to this thing. It's out of the price range. But if you were to do it compartmentalized like that, well, maybe I could just do just the maze experience or I could just do just the bar experience or I could do just the hotel and stay in this place. You will accommodate the whole family in that experience and they'll yeah. want to go there. They'll want to go there. So how do you, how, how do I do? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Did I plus it? We, right. We've got we've got Broadway, we've got technology, and uh, we'll we'll even sell some cruises. <laughs> hey, you know what? And sometimes you know maybe you'll get a big enough audience where you know some of these Disney executives are listening, and they are opt to take other people's ideas and make them. They 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 do. I know that they look at a lot of Etsy people with their really crafty hats, and all of a sudden I'm seeing that they'll they'll, they'll give the cease and desist, but all of a sudden I'll see it in the park. 
<laughs> I'll see, I'll see a very similar hat uh, in the park because it's just a cool idea. So, Disney, if you're listening, you have complete rights to this. Yeah. Go for it and do it. We want you to do it. You, you have our permission, and we don't want any royalties. Just make it so. Number one. Hey, make it All so. right. <laughs> Mark, you cut out there a little bit. I can't hear you. Caller, can you speak up, please? Oh, no. I think we may have lost Mark there. I can hear him, but it's like he's in the, he's like, he's like in the other room. Right, right. I did hear a dog. (laughs) The the dog could come on the flight with us if we wanted to go. Dogs are allowed. Yeah. Well, listen, I think we can go ahead and wrap this up. Joel, thank you so much for your time today. It was so great to get oh. to meet you. And, and I had a lot of fun. I, I wrote down what you said about the three chairs, because that's actually something that I'm going to apply in, in my boring corporate world life. I love that idea. Okay, we're going to sit in the blue sky chair. We're going to sit in the practical chair, and then we're going to be the spoiler bean counter. And I think I love that idea is thank you possible. And then what can we do? And that's a great perspective. There's a great Walt Disney quote that I love that it was the Sherman brothers who said they uh, they went up to, to Walt and said, Hey, we've got a great idea for a song. And he says, you have an idea. I'll let you know if it's great. It's like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, that's a funny thing you should mention. Uh, Walt was, you know, everybody was a little terrified of Walt because he would go into the, the, uh, the, the, there's a room that, that they would call like the hot box room. And, you know, the dailies would be looked at and people would be sweating the bullets and Walt did not pull any punches. If he didn't like your idea, he'd say, no, that's not working. And, and the Imagineers were always waiting for him to say these magic words, that'll work. Ah. He never gave, he never gave praise to people. He just put people in a room. He was really smart about putting people, creative people, and putting them in a room and let them work out and then come up with some ideas. And then he'd listen to them and either nix it or say, keep working on it. And it's that level of creativity without middle management that I think is missing from today's creative world where people Mm. could just be creative, like what we just did here. I mean, I think you got a really good taste of, you know, how my brain works and how I've worked in the, the different creative industries that I've worked in. I've really had to brainstorm the impossible. And Walt really is the inspiration behind that. He is, well, he was a genius at uh, seeing in the future, being predictive and, but allowing that level of creativity that you just don't get in today's market, because uh, most of what people are doing today, and I think you're your viewer, your, your listeners will, will agree mm-hmm. that everything, movies, books, television, games, it's all been done. Like they don't take risks on anything. They just, they, it's already been a book before it became a movie or it's already a movie. It was already a game before it became a book. You know I mean? There is nothing that they don't want to, they don't want to take a, a risk on an original idea anymore. They're terrified of losing their shirts and things do cost a lot of money, but you know, I'm looking for the original ideas now and I'm not seeing it. And, you know, maybe someday I'll be that guy that comes along and one-ups Disney someday. And uh, maybe we've we've, we've recorded this for for prosperity so that when I achieve it, I can look back at this recording and say, I knew then what uh, what Walt Disney knew when he first started Disneyland. And we can can get it done. I want this idea to happen. (laughs) Maybe not exactly how we talked about it, but... I think there's something to it. And I, and I, I challenge other people to get there before me. It's a race. I am challenging your listeners. If you're a young kid and you want to be an Imagineer, this is your moment. Do it. Figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Don't right. limit your potential. Anybody. Hey, Joel, thanks yeah. again so much for joining us. I look forward to putting this out. I'm, I'm going to share all your information. Um, 
what's the best place for people to to see your art and to see your work wish pictures with an s.com so wish like you're wishing upon a star wishpictures.com and you'll see my bio on there uh which which is pretty much shows most of my life how i got to where i am now although there's about seven years missing out of there i haven't had time to really update it but there i'm also under uh instagram uh joel christopher Payne and i am santa so you can go to tiktok and listen to me watch my my fun videos um at hipster saint nick on TikTok, and I've got ninety three thousand followers. Holy cow! Uh, and just a handful of just a few moments because I just love entertaining people, and I'm trying to do an origin story for Santa called the Elf King. And if oh. you go to the theelfking.com, uh, I've got some products on there. But I'm working with the I've partnered with the Mandalorian stunt team. Uh, maybe uh, some of your Disney people know about that. Have you ever heard of Mandalorians? I, maybe oh, not. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm working with T- Turbo Panda Productions, which a uh, majority of their stunt guys uh, work on that show as well as on a lot of other shows. And I've written an origin story for Santa that will answer all questions that a child ever had about Santa Claus and how he became the Santa. And um, I'm working on that, try to get it up as a show. And we've got this amazing toy technology, maybe little elves that will be... Uh, I'm going to check that. I'm going to, I actually saw a little of that earlier today. I'm going to check that out. I'm kind of known as the, as the gift giver Santa Claus in my family. So that that's, that's really cool. I uh, have just been nominated for a very prestigious award, the Hollywood media music and media awards, the HMMA awards, which is the equivalent of the Grammys for the movie and television business, basically music connected to media. And uh, that show is going to be on streaming uh, in November because we've got the COVID restrictions. So we can't do it in Hollywood like we normally do. Uh, But, but uh, I, my song Santa lives in you, which you can get on, iTunes and Amazon and Spotify right now um, got nominated and I beat out a, a few hundred people in my category and um, that's going to be connected to our show but it was written for hashtag bless the movie where I play Santa and it's coming out next Christmas so that's another movie to look for that I'm in aside from being an artist I'm I also act and sing and do a whole bunch of different things so don't limit yourself kids that's right <laughs> hey thanks again for joining us really appreciate your time My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. It's been a blast. All right. Take care. Wow. That was a great interview with Joel. What do you think, Jeff? You know, it was really great to sit down with him or to let him pace with us while he gave so much insight to the imaginarium process that, you know, as someone, like you said, he he consulted with them, did so many uh, interesting attractions that I loved. And he, he just has had such a passion for, the Walt method and how they cultivate those designs. And I love the, the aspect of sitting in the three different chairs in Walt's office, the blue sky, the practical and the spoiler that just really resonated with me. Yeah. I'm really glad we got that input about the, the three chairs. And um, I, I can see that, that that would be realistic if, when Imagineering is actually creating something, because ultimately you can't just really throw it out there, which which really makes you wonder: Do they? How much of that do they have now? You know, the NBA experience lasted what nine months or so? That, I don't know how yeah. long it was. Yeah. So, you know, what what kind of? I wonder if how hard they're applying that today. But you know, as far as this show goes, I I, I like his idea that we should apply that. However, I think if we truly applied three chairs up to that third chair, I'm not sure if we could 
if we could do things every single week. You know what I mean? It might be tough yeah. for us to do there, but at least yeah. to kind of to kind of keep those chairs. Oh, and I do like the idea, have a one line pitch. And I feel like mine yes. did it. Bring Broadway to Disney Springs. And, and uh, I approach it with the result of looking at it from, you have your shopping district, your your food district, and then you have your entertainment district. So I was yeah. trying to apply some level of design there and consider the space. I like your idea. I, I, th I think it just might need a little bit more work in the sense of creating a simulated experience to, and like I said, I'm, I'm actually the guy you need to be building that space for yeah. because I'm the guy who says, I don't want to go on the cruise. You've got to design something that says, go in this building. And then when you leave this building, you're going to want to go on that cruise. Yeah. I think I spent, I spent the wrong portion of my pitch. <laughs> explaining why it was needed versus just saying what it was. And he was absolutely right to, to gong me on that. And, um, and, and I think he was right too of, of, is this really needed? You know, how, how much of a population would something like that apply to? Cause you could really go crazy with some ideas. I had a lot of ideas that I, I wanted to express and we won't worry about that for this show, but you know, it, in doing something like that, Disney would, whether it be from the Disney cruise line, sharing money with some, with the parks, or whoever is going to fund this, that that's a lot of up, upfront capital to basically attract, I don't know how many people. The basic idea was really, though, is to have a central place where people already are and then sort of pique their curiosity and then try that next big purchase, right? So the Disney Cruise Line doesn't have that much as much as, you know, in, in one location as they do online and, and things like that. I just what, always wondered what it would be like to have that on a site. And if you think about it, like Royal Caribbean yeah. Carnival Cruises, they don't have anything like that at all. And, you know, if Disney had that one little kick, one little something, even if it's not, you know, a gigantic building, you know, what could that turn into long term? Or well, I know, that has I know to be the people that over. go on Disney Cruises, the people that love it, they absolutely, there are people that are more cruise fans than they are parks fans. Yeah. And uh, it's it's just a different orbit. Now sometimes you'll you'll be in a shared orbit, but uh, it's interesting. But so yeah, but I was very very I was very glad to have Joel's um, his input onto onto the basically his take on whether or not something like that should even be pitched. So I knew it was coming, and I'm, I'm glad he did that. And I'm so I was so glad to have him on on the show. I'd love to have him back. And I was honestly, I was really piqued by his idea of this holodeck or whatever you would call it in the Disney version. And that was so on my mind. I, I didn't know how to beat that. <laughs> you know, it, it is very fanciful and it's, I don't, I don't know how feasible something like that is. Honestly, we're probably close to that. And he believes we're close to it. We might be, but I really think that if we're getting close to that, Disney needs to be on that hot and heavy. Because I think there'll be a lot of competition across the world and getting something like that out there. I'm going to go ahead and, and level with you. My original idea, I, I, I liked my idea and I feel like I was really approaching it from maybe a market need or a way to properly apply or cross pollinate the different Disney brands. But I did have an original concept for that space where it would be be like disney quest plus and part of it would be there would be a standard omnimover ride vehicle 
and then you would have digitally designed your ride experience and then the show, the ride vehicle would twist and turn in one of those projected roof it, uh, the, the projections would be a, along the entire ride uh, track and that experience that you created whether it's a wild west one or outer space and you could add different elements and the ride vehicle maybe is even on one of those crazy kooka arms and then I'm thinking, well, this is now just becoming a big theme park experience as well. And it's an Epcot like, attraction. <laughs> yeah, that's actually like a big Epcot e-ticket. So uh, I dialed back from that and went. I went Broadway. Yeah, I almost so let's recreate mannequins. Let's build that again. <laughs> I miss mannequins. <laughs> Listen, but you know that the, the hey, Disney I, space. I, I, I thought you were going to do a Walt or a Disney World Museum. That's what I thought you were going to do. Yeah, make. some people have actually suggested that on Twitter before. I've read that, and that's pretty probably a really good idea. Although I don't know how much of a general population would would buy into that, but I would certainly like to see it. Um, the, the challenge with Disney Quest is just it's such a gigantic space. But what do you really do with it? It's really, really tough. Um, but on, I think when, when I heard the, the whole... I'm not going to call it the holodeck because I don't want to really copy Star Trek. Disney would have to do something really unique to themselves. But it made me wonder what what's really going on with this Epcot's play pavilion and what kind of potential does it have? Because they 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 showed us a little bit about what it's going to be, but they they actually made a statement in their in their D23 pitch, and it Zach Ridley says this innovative new pavilion is beyond anything we've ever created and is completely unique to Epcot. And it really just kind of made me step back and wonder, is is this going to be kind of that's a beginning of that type of space of what Joel was thinking about? And then later on, get better and better and better and use that as a platform to do what he was creating that digital immersive entirety space. Well, the Cranium Command Theater still exists. The physical spaces for the Body Wars ride systems are, are there, but they... I believe have cannibalized all of the ride vehicles for the different star tours simulators. Yeah. So I don't think they're going to open it with any particular big flashy attractions, but I, I guess they're going to try to make this a really interesting interactive spot. Right. I mean, they have a lot of space where the simulators were to create this walk-in immersive environment where you're sort of lost in the world. So who knows? Who knows? Yeah. So that, what's up, would... what's up next on our next Disney space, Mark. Since I think we're coming up on a holiday here, we're coming coming up on Halloween, occasionally you'll see Disney World and Disneyland do special types of overlays on their attractions for Christmas, such as the Jingle Cruise at Disneyland and also at Cars Land, they sort of do a Halloween, a Halloween type of thing. And then it, it, Walt Disney World, they'll do the Country Bear Holiday Hoedown, until 2006, so, and they pull the rug out from that. Yeah, so let's do a Halloween special. Let's so it's pick, a Halloween special. Pick your own Disney space. space. Anybody can pick a Disney space. I want Actually, Dis to... Disney spaces. Pick several. Several? Yes, yeah, several. And so let's see how we can do a Halloween type of overlay theme and spook the place up a little bit. Something that's never been done before. So so again, to clarify, it's, it's similar to how in Disneyland they can turn the Haunted Mansion into a nightmare before Christmas experience, but then when they're done with it, they can turn it right back and you never knew the difference. Right. The great oh. pumpkin on spaceship earth. We'll just start hey, there. I like that. <laughs> I 
All right, the hot, the hot, the Disney Space Halloween special. That's what we're going to do. All right, be be on the lookout for that very soon. Well, hey, that's another great show with Disney Space. And Mark, you want them to check out Joel's website? Yeah, please go to wishpictures.com and look at all of Joel's amazing paintings. Each one of these are for sale. He has a lot of things that have a holiday theme to it, a lot of things that have a Disneyland theme to it. A lot of this is background art. And, and a lot of it, some of it is also not associated with the Disney, but they're beautiful, beautiful paintings. Look through them, browse them, consider buying them, consider consider them for gifts. But Joel is an amazing painter. I really, really want you to watch to look at some of his art. And we thank him again for coming on the show. Absolutely. Mark, looking forward to the next show, buddy. All right. Crazy.